Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Tim, today I'm excited about our conversation. We've got a, a guest who's going to be with us right here. We do. Um, but to sort of set it up, um, I thought we could use one of our favorite metaphors around here. It comes along with a story, um, and I wonder if you could set it up with us. Absolutely. Well, um, I love this story. It's um, I don't know how old it is, but it's we've leveraged it quite a bit around here. So, listeners, I want you to imagine you're on a road trip with a bunch of friends in a car. Let's say you're moving across the country. And I want you to imagine it's midday. It's lunchtime. And everybody in the car agrees they're hungry. Let's get some lunch. And you say, well, if, if we see a restaurant at the next uh, exit, we'll, we'll stop. And sure enough, the next exit's got a cafe, and you get off the off-ramp, and you cross over the freeway on that bridge, and you start driving toward the parking lot, and you notice it's, it's empty. Huh. And your first thought is, oh, this is fantastic. The parking lot's empty. And then you think, wow. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, the, the park, parking lot's it's It's lunchtime. Well, you think, well, maybe this is just a fluke. And so you all hop out of the car. You walk through the door. Sure enough, inside the restaurant, there are waiters and waitresses. There's, there's um, you know, uh, guys to clean the tables off and so forth. But there is not a soul. There is not one customer in that restaurant. And then you look across the counter behind in the kitchen, and you see an extremely skinny chef. Now, here's the, the part we all know. You never want to eat any food from a skinny chef. Nope, never <laughs> if, trust if a skinny chef. If this food is so good, how come you're not eating what you're feeding? Exactly. And, and of course, for anybody, whether you're a, a teacher, a principal, a parent, a coach, if we're not eating what we're feeding, if we're not practicing what we preach, to use an old phrase, uh, our words are hollow. It's so and true. so today we're really going to talk about how we can practice a skill set that we, if we have any hope for our students to get it, we got to do it ourselves first. Absolutely, the urgency is is very strong right now. I know you and I have been spending a lot of times, uh, a lot of time in schools recently, and we keep hearing over and over again, we this has got to be a different year. Yeah. We're coming out of the yes. pandemic. We yeah. need a different style of leadership, mm -hmm. and yet so very often we expect that something like we need emotionally intelligent students on our campus, we need yeah. great leaders in our teachers, and yet we aren't often embodying that same thing ourselves. Yeah, all the time. I mean, it happens in different subjects. Uh, I, I've been guilty of this myself over the years. Just I've got a great program to share with you, but don't expect me to model it for you. And I just think that's going to ring hollow, particularly in a year following this pandemic we've been in. Absolutely. Well, today we're really excited because uh, we're doing an interview. You're going to sit down with, uh, he's actually the president of Growing Leaders. His name is Steve Moore. And Steve is a fantastic leader. He's, like I said, our current president here at Growing Leaders. He's also the founder of Next Leader, and he's the author of several books. He's a very smart guy, but the reason he's here today is because he's talking to us about a brand new ebook he just wrote. We released it on our website through Growing Leaders, and it's simply called Building an Emotionally Intelligent culture on your school campus. It's a fantastic resource. We're going to tell you how you can get it at the end here, but let's go ahead and talk to Steve. Steve, I cannot thank you enough for sitting down. We enjoy our times together, do we yes, not? Yes, we do. But this is going to be especially meaningful because it's a subject we care about deeply at Growing Leaders. You've written about, 
And I think right now, anyway, there may be no more important topic to talk about. So let's start talking about the terminology first. Uh, emotional intelligence. Uh, people hear about it. We talk about it. We try to practice it. How do you define it in, in this book, and why is it important? Yeah, Tim. There's you know you could Google the textbook definition of this, so I'm going to let readers or listeners do that. I would just say think of it like this: emotional intelligence is a set of soft skills that enable a person to read themselves and read others in ways that improve their. Uh, relationships. Oh, I love that. And there, there's a mountain of mm. evidence out there over several decades now that really reinforce how mm. emotional intelligence is the differentiator for standout performers in pretty much any field. And I'm guessing that's why you wrote this book. I mean, we collaborated on this ought to be done, but talk about what was inside of you when you wrote this. Sure. We care about this so deeply at Growing Leaders because we talk about uh, empowering emerging generations with the skills to lead in real life. Yep. We know we can't give them every skill. Yeah. So we decided to double down on a really critical skill of emotional intelligence. And we're kind of making two bets here. One is that if we can help a student grow their emotional intelligence, we'll expand their platform for influence. And secondly, they're more likely to use that influence for the benefit of other people. Yeah. And yeah. we wanted to address this at the campus level because we feel like the best curriculum that has ever been written around SEL or anything, as your opening metaphor yeah. illustrates, is the people. Yeah. And so if we can help administrators, mm -hmm. faculty, teachers, other workers yeah. live this out, it's going to reinforce what yeah. we try to do with students. So listeners, I hope you heard that last statement. I know that you're preparing right now, even now, lesson plans, curriculum, uh, you know, field trips, all the stuff that's going to happen. But if you haven't prepared yourself, um, it, again, it's going to be a hollow, it's going to have a hollow ring to it with, with the students. And they can read a fake a mile away. If we're teaching yeah. SEL but not practicing SEL, it's, it's a little bit lost. So, Steve, one of the things I love about this book is that you help a reader understand self-leadership uh, as an administrator, let's say, or a, a decision maker or, or a teacher in a classroom. Um, and, it, and, and it's, it, if not the most significant factor, it's one of the most significant factors is to, is to, is to practice it, like you just said. So can you, um, can you just talk for a few minutes on why you believe self-leadership is so important? Sure. I would say, and this is a bit of a definitive statement, but I'm, I'm thinking about it carefully here. I don't think you can really develop the soft skills of emotional intelligence if you don't have a solid and growing base of self-leadership. Mm. And here, here's why. I would simplify self-leadership to be the ability to tell yourself yes and to tell yourself no. Yeah. And when you tell yourself yes, you build self-discipline by yeah. doing things that you don't have yeah. to do. When you tell yourself no, you build self-control by choosing not to do something that you otherwise yeah. could do. And those basic elements of self-leadership are essential in order to develop the soft skills of emotional intelligence. No doubt. And I cannot think of a time where that was tested more than during the pandemic. We're quarantined, and the three biggest enemies were the refrigerator, the television, and the bed, yes. you know, that sort yes. of thing. And, and we could have said no or yes. Many people did really well, others not so well, but that was self-leadership time. It is. Yeah, absolutely. So can you talk about what you call the greatest predictor? This is in your book. The greatest predictor of your own self-awareness. 
Sure. This actually comes from research done by Scott Taylor at Babson College. It's all footnoted in the book if you want to go deeper. But he says the best indicator of self-awareness is not how you see yourself Mm -hmm. or even how other people see you, but actually your prediction of how other people see you compared to how they actually see you. Ah, okay. Say that again. Yeah. Your prediction of how they do it Correct. versus how they really the do it. The best indicator of of, uh, of of emotional intelligence and self-awareness is not how you see yourself or how other people see you, but your prediction of how mm. they see you compared to how they mm. actually yeah. uh, see you. And I've, I've tried to make this really practical with a simple question, and it's not unique to me. Other people yeah. have raised this question. Yeah. But the question is, what is it like to be on the other side of me? Yeah. And I think in order to answer that question, you have to take into account the nature of the relationship with mm-hmm. that person yeah. and the nature of the interaction. Yeah. And so yeah. you could make it even more practical to say, what is it like for this person in this situation on the other side of me? So if you're a principal of a school administrator, yeah. you know the interaction with a student who you wanted to congratulate for their amazing performance in the basketball game you know, on Friday yeah. night is very different from your interaction with a student who is being disciplined because they stole the answers to a test. You yeah. know, the, yeah. the, the nature of the relationship and the interaction are very difficult very different and they affect that whole process yeah, now yeah because of that i've decided that it's it's actually even more helpful for me to go one step further and to say what do i want it to be like yeah for this person in this situation on the other side of me and so you can't do this in every interaction with every person that you have but even if you just think about looking at your schedule and, and seeing those meetings that you're going to have where there's potential for some emotional tension or some mm-hmm. confusion or the stakes are really high. And just to pause for a moment and say, well, what would I want it to be like for this person mm-hmm. in this meeting on the other side of me? And actually write down some words that describe what emotions do I want this person to feel huh. when they get up and walk out of the room on the other side of the meeting. And if you actually write those down, then you can stop and say, well, what approach do I need to take in this meeting to increase the likelihood that when that person walks out, they're going to be experiencing those emotions? That's just a great exercise. And it helps to bring into into better sync um, my prediction of their opinion of me. No doubt about it. Now, that's going to take some work. I mean, you're talking about stopping, reflecting, writing, but um, but you're right. If this is an important conversation, especially we which have a requires chance. a little bit of self leadership, which yeah. is the whole point. <laughs> which circles back to the very beginning of our conversation. Um, Steve, in this book, you introduce a model for being a good steward of the people who work at a school, or for that matter, any organization. Uh, and then you emphasize how the application of that model overlays with emotional intelligence. So, can you briefly explain the model? I know it's going to be your words, nothing else, but and how it can support building a highly emotionally intelligent culture. Sure. I, I found that it's easier to have a philosophy about how to treat people in an organization or on a campus. It's easier to have that philosophy than it is to put all that into action. And that's where a good model can be helpful. So to visualize this, if you could picture a rectangle with two squares above the rectangle side by side. And the rectangle is labeled care, and it represents everything you do to communicate to your team, this is a safe, healthy, positive place 
to work and to serve. And that includes the systems, the policies, the relationships, et cetera. The square on the left above the rectangle is labeled training. The one on the right is labeled development. Mm. They're both really important. Yeah, you yeah. can't ignore either one. But in this model, they're slightly different. And the difference could be described like this. Training tends to begin with the needs of the organization. Yes. Yeah. What do we need from our people? And development begins with the needs of the individual. What yeah. does that person yeah. need? So training asks, what do we need to say? And development asks, where do you need to grow? And the point is, when all three elements of this model are in play, are put in action in an organizational context, it reinforces the big ideas of emotional intelligence mm. from the interpersonal level yeah. to the organizational level. And that's part of what we try to tease out in this little ebook. I love that. Now, let's double click on this for just a minute. At Growing Leaders, we try to do these things. We're getting better. We try. Yes. But training and development, um, you just mentioned training is the development of a skill set or whatever for the workplace, for to do their job better. Yes. We probably expand development beyond the job. Would you talk about that for a minute? It could be personal growth outside and after five o'clock. Yeah, exactly. Because training begins with the needs of the organization. Yeah. It's typically focused on the functional skills or competencies a person needs yeah. to do well in their job. And yeah. you, you don't care for your people if you don't provide those basic That's skills. Right. Yeah. But development says, who are you? Where are you now? Where do you want to go? That's a totally different conversation, and it's way bigger than work. That's why yeah. we offer paid time off for our yeah. team members in yeah. a year and say, work on a personal growth plan. And it doesn't have to be yeah. only related to something that's going to get you better at work. Because we know, we, we like to say, and I talk about this in the ebook, is that your development is just as important as your performance and the two actually yeah. go together yeah. if we can help you get better as a as a person you're going to perform better at work steve i'm thinking about people who are listening that might be let's say a school administrator i know not everybody is listening that's in that role but that's a lot um talk about an administrator that might be thinking i totally agree this makes sense but my budget's really low can we do training and or development in ways that don't cost a bundle? Sure. The training function, they already do because you have to provide orientation for new teachers and other positions in yeah. the school. So typically training happens at some basic level. The development is where you can really get creative. So it doesn't cost anything to say work on a personal growth plan and even maybe provide them with some paid time off yeah. uh, to do it. And other elements of the developmental process can be simply uh, your personal commitment to listen to what people are trying to work on and give them articles, make yeah. uh, books available yeah. to them, become that sort of mentor, sponsor, mm -hmm. resource connection, and begin to create a culture of that so people are supporting and sharing the development of each other. Yeah, and those I things don't that. necessarily have to cost money. That's right. Absolutely. Or not a lot, anyway. And it's very much a gesture toward the recipient of, oh my gosh, she cares for me, he cares for me, uh, yeah. well beyond uh, the job here. Well, um, one final question for you. Uh, one of the stories you tell in the book is a great example of the power of an emotionally intelligent, emotional, emotionally intelligent thinking, I guess I would say. It's about a veteran in a grocery store. Can you tell us that story? I think that would be a great way to kind of 
close sure. things up. I, I heard this in an interview, a podcast interview Lori Santos did with Tara Brock, psychologist Tara Brock. And uh, Tara Brock talks about a, this veteran who took uh, anger management class and learned some mindfulness techniques that she teaches. And so he's in line at the grocery store. He's really busy. He's got just a handful of things here, but he wants to get checked out and get out of there. The person in front of him has one item. And the checker's not even paying attention yeah. to, to him at all. And the person there with the one item has a, a toddler. And the checker is just ooing and eyeing over this toddler. And he's getting more and more angry. Like, yeah. can't you see I'm standing here and I have yeah. things to do? Yeah. But he remembers his mindfulness technique and he starts thinking and just kind of uh, checking his emotions, yeah. acknowledging yeah. Yeah. whatever. And he kind of even, even closed his eyes. And he opens his eyes and he's like, oh, she actually is a cute little girl. Yeah. Well, finally, they, they check out and leaves. Yeah. And so he says to the checker, hey, that was a cute little girl. And she just comes alive. And she says, well, that was my daughter. Mm. And her grandma brings her in here every couple days so I can spend some time with her while wow. I work. And then she says, uh, my husband died. He was a veteran. He died in Afghanistan. Mm. And this is really one of the ways my mom helps me. Wow. And so here's this vet yeah. who was first <laughs> yeah. angry, yeah. irritated. At this situation. Now all of a sudden he has new information that he didn't have, which totally changes the dynamics of the situation. And I think this happens to us all the time. Yeah. Not necessarily as dramatic as that, but where our emotions begin to take over and we recognize that later that we didn't have all the information. And if we understood what was really happening beneath the situation, it would change how we feel about it. No doubt about it. I think it happens to all of us, like you said, probably weekly. We're informed when we get more <laughs> back backstory on anyone's life. Yeah. Steve, this is a great ebook. Gonna be really practical for those who pick it up. Thank you for writing it and thank you for joining Glad us to today. Do it. Wow, what an incredible conversation. Thank you so much, Steve, for your insights, and thank you, Tim, for yours as well. Uh, if you want to pick up this brand new ebook called Building an Emotionally Intelligent Culture on Your School Campus, uh, look for the link in the show notes, and it'll send you to the landing page where you can uh, grab that. We would love for you to read that. It is free of charge, so feel free to enjoy that, and we hope it's helpful as you're beginning to think about what your school year is going to look like this fall. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars. That gets the word out about what we're doing here. Um, if you found it particularly helpful and you thought of somebody who might benefit from it, go ahead and share it with a friend. Pass it along. Uh, that also really helps us out. If you want to connect with us online on social media, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you've got ideas for this podcast, people you want us to interview, uh, topics you think we should cover, shoot us an email. It's simply podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Well, thank you again, Steve, and thank you, Tim, for leading us. Uh, we will see you guys next time.